the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Acts 1, 8. Life Point Church, it's good to see you this morning. Would you stand with me, and would you say that verse out loud? It'll be on the screen to help you out, but say it with me this morning. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1-8. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful to be here in your presence, and here's what we know. You are here with us right here, right now. And God, would you continue to move in this place and change us to be more like you as we become better witnesses on your behalf, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want us to have a little bit of fun as we kick off this morning. We've got to engage your brain. Some of you got to go back a few years. Some of you might have to go back a bunch of years. But here's what I want you to do. Imagine when you were a child. When you were a kid and you think about watching cartoons, what was your favorite cartoon? Maybe you think of Saturday morning and you put on the pajamas and you get the bowl of cereal. You go downstairs and you're going to watch TV and you're going to watch cartoons. What was, if you had to pick one, the thing that comes to mind, your cartoon, what would that cartoon be? Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to overthink it. Make it up if you need to. It's okay. But just take 10 seconds and ask the person beside you, what was your all-time favorite cartoon? Go ahead. Ready? Go. Those of you who are watching online, if you want to just participate with us right now, just type it in the comments section and let us know what was your all-time favorite cartoon. All right. Now you're overthinking it. I just wanted you to share it. Ready? Hopefully you shared yours as well. All right, let's start over here on this section. What's your favorite all-time cartoon? Somebody just shout it out. Somebody said SpongeBob. All right, that was always a little weird for me. I don't know about the rest of you. Yeah, all right. How about somebody said Scooby-Doo? That's classic. We can get behind that. Yeah, all right. How about right here? What do we have? Favorite cartoon of all time. What was it? In the back, you shout it out. Say it again. Oh, Tom and Jerry. Okay, that's strong. All right, who else? Anybody else? You said Chester? Oh, Jetson, Jetsons. I hadn't heard of Chester, but Jetsons I've heard of. I, I, I got you. All right, right here. Favorite cartoon of all time? Mickey Mouse. Classic. Yeah, absolutely. What was it? Felix the Cat. Now, that's a great throwback. I, I, I've got one I'm going to share in a minute that's in that same era. And then you said Flintstones. Yeah, absolutely. Bam, bam. Popeye. All right, right here. Favorite cartoon? I just asked for one. You people are so excited to share your cartoon. I love it. I heard Jetsons. I heard Ro Bugs Bunny. Yeah, Roadrunner. Come on now. Although it always kind of went the exact same way every time, and we watched. All right, right here, favorite cartoon of all time? Roadrunner, Tom and Jerry. What else? What was it? I, I'm not familiar with that one. Is that an American cartoon? Is that one? That, I've just missed out, obviously, because there's some energy in the room now when you said that. All right, right here, favorite cartoon of all time? Yogi Bear. Man, that's a classic. All right, anybody else? You've got your hand up. Just shout it out. 
Bullwinkle. Okay, yes, yes. Anybody else? Woody the Woodpecker. Awesome. That's so good. Now, here, let me just share with you. I, I wasn't a big cartoon kid growing up. I'd rather watch, like, sports. But I do remember there was one in particular that always just stuck out in my mind. I don't know why I was drawn to it, but I was. And you're going to judge me. That's okay. Casper the Friendly Ghost. Y'all remember that? That was kind of Felix the Cat. Oh, got some applause for it. Good. I thought we'd get some boos and hiss, and that's great. So here's why we're talking about that. I'm bringing that up, Casper the Friendly Ghost, because today we're going to look in Acts chapter 2 at the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to show up in a dramatic and beautiful and powerful way. And if you're like me, sometimes it is tempting to think of the Holy Spirit like we do Casper the Friendly Ghost, Right? Like the Holy Spirit's this thing out there that's a little bit insecure, that's a little bit timid, that doesn't always show up. We're not real sure what's going on. Kind of like Casper the Friendly Ghost. And it couldn't be further from the truth, and yet there's this natural tendency to think of the Holy Spirit this way. I just want to say this. The Holy Spirit is not a what, but a who. The Holy Spirit is not an it, but a person. And the Holy Spirit isn't timid. The Holy Spirit is powerful, sovereign, omniscient, omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. God, the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see the demonstration of the Holy Spirit. And if you've ever been like me and you sometimes think of the Holy Spirit like Casper the Friendly Ghost, oh, you're going to love Acts chapter 2 when you go, okay, that's the Holy Spirit. That is nothing like the cartoon that I remember. And if you're new here today, I'm just so glad that you're here today. And maybe somebody took you to breakfast or they promised you your lunch and that's why you're here and we're so glad that you are and I just want to say to you if you've ever wondered like where did this whole Christianity thing come from like where did the idea of church come from what's this about why are there over two billion Christians in the world and Christians in almost every nation every ethnicity the Christian is the most diverse religion on the planet where did this whole idea even come from well today's your lucky day because we're going to look at exactly where it came from when it birthed when it launched in Acts chapter 2. So if you don't have your Bibles, there's one in the pew in front of you. Lean forward and grab that. We would love for you to borrow that today. If you don't know where Acts is in the Bible, like any book, just look in the table of contents and you'll find Acts. We're going to look at chapter 2. And I'm so excited about what we're looking at today. Now last time, you remember in Acts chapter 1, we talked about that that was the greatest prayer meeting in history, the most powerful prayer meeting, because of what happened in Acts chapter 2. And today we get to look at that powerful result in Acts chapter 2. Now let me give you a quick outline, going to give you context, and then we're going to jump right in. Quick outline of Acts chapter 2 is this. It's divided into two parts. There's the Spirit, and then there's a sermon. The Spirit and the sermon. The first half of the Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at the arrival in a dramatic way of the Holy Spirit. The second part of Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at Peter's first and best sermon. And I can't wait to get to that. You're going to see why I think that, and I think you'll agree. And that's the second part of Acts chapter 2. So now, that's the outline. Here's the context. Remember what's been happening all this time in the life of the disciples, right? Like all this time, they've been following this Jesus who was then crucified, and they think that's over with. And then Jesus rises from the dead, and all of history changes. And we celebrated that just a few weeks ago, April the 4th, for Easter. And a lot of people think the story goes like this. Jesus rose from the dead, the end. As if that's the end of the story. We realize, no, it's actually once upon a time, Jesus rose from the dead and the story began. But the question is, well, what happened next? Where do you go from here? That's what the disciples were thinking. We're often in places in life. That's what we are thinking. 
and we wonder what happened next. Well, that's what the book of Acts is about. For the next 30 years, what happened after the resurrection? It's all covered in the book of Acts. And that's why we're going through it. It just works perfectly out of Easter as we continue the story. And today we pick it up in Acts chapter 2. And I am so glad you're here today. I'm glad to be here today. And let's jump right in, starting with verse one, and let's see this dramatic, dramatic passage. It begins and it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, if you underline your Bible like I do, I would underline the word Pentecost. Pentecost, the word P-E-T-E, penta means 50, right? So 50, what is that significance of 50? Well, 50, it's 50 days after the Passover, Remember the Passover, 1500 B.C., that's when the the Jewish people left Exodus uh, out of Egypt, and they said, all right, we're going to celebrate this from now on. This is called the Passover. Well, most theologians believe it was about 50 days later when the Jewish people were at Mount Sinai, when Moses was given the law there on top of Mount Sinai. And so they call that Pentecost, and for 50 1,500 years, they've been celebrating both Passover, and 50 days later, they celebrate Pentecost. So both their feast, and people would come from all over to Jerusalem to celebrate it. And so here they are, just 50 days after Passover, and they're coming back together in Jerusalem, and they're celebrating, once again, this feast of Pentecost. That's kind of the gist of Pentecost. Now, here's the thing, though. Imagine these disciples. After Jesus rose from the dead, they are seeing Jesus, the risen Jesus, for the next 40 days continue to reappear to them. Even at one time, up to 500 people saw this risen Jesus at one time. And then after 40 days, we saw it in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends into heaven. Remember that? And now he's in heaven, and Jesus says, I know you want to go and make disciples, but, 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 but wait until the Holy Spirit comes. And they're like, what are we waiting on the Holy Spirit? Like, we saw you do all these things. We've seen you rise from the dead. You told us to go make something. We are ready. He goes, no, no, no. you got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Okay, where do we find the Holy Spirit? Let's go. Give us the GPS coordinates, and we'll go find the Holy Spirit, and let's get this thing started. He's like, no, no, no. you got to go to the upper room, and you're just going to wait. What are we waiting on? Just trust me and wait. So can you imagine these disciples going to the upper room, They've been given clear marching orders. They get to the right place, do the right thing. And it says they all came together. By the way, that's why we keep coming together like this, because the Holy Spirit moves when we do. We keep coming together in one place, just like they did here in Acts. And they came together. They did exactly what Jesus said. They're in the right place, doing the right thing. And guess what happened that first day? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're like, okay, well, let's try it again. Maybe we didn't do it quite right. So they go back to the right place, and they do the right thing with the right people, completely obedient. And guess what happens? Nothing. Day three, guess what happens? Say it with me, church. Nothing. Yeah, day four, guess what happened, right? Nothing. Yeah, for 10 days, nothing. Despite being completely obedient, doing exactly what God said, being faithful to everything they knew to do in the right place with the right people and nothing. I'm telling you, if you feel like that in your life because you've been waiting, maybe it's not 10 days, maybe you've been waiting 10 months or 10 years on something in your life and you feel like you're being obedient, doing all that you know to do, and yet there's nothing. You can relate to how these disciples felt in that moment when they're thinking, God, where are you? Where, where are you going to move Where's this Holy Spirit that you've promised? 
40 days and then he ascends. And 10 days later, it's Pentecost, day 50 after the Passover. Guess who decides to join the party? Who shows up in a dramatic way? And the church is launched, I believe. Christianity, our faith, begins. And here it is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 2. Watch this scene. It's day 10. Maybe they think it's going to go like all the other days. And it's on an ordinary day by now. And all of a sudden, it says, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, not just the upper room where they were, where they were sitting. It's like a tornado. It's like a freight train, a sound like they've maybe never heard before. Everybody in the region even hears it, we'll later learn. You think that's weird. Why? Wait until you get to verse 3. Look at this. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that were separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, if you're new to church and you hear me read that and you think, okay, that's kind of weird, just know all of us who typically go to church and are somewhat familiar with the Bible, we read that and we think, well, that's kind of weird, right? But let me give you just a little bit of history to this whole idea of the fire because back when we referenced the Pentecost beginning at Mount Sinai, there was fire that came down. It was a purifying demonstration of God. In fact, you remember he even got Moses' attention through the burning bush. And we see fire all throughout the Old Testament continuing to remind us of the supernatural God who would come down in a purifying way and demonstrate his supernatural presence. And here he's doing it again. And this is not a typical, this is extremely unique. And that's why it makes the Bible, right? And here we are reading something very unusual going on. And all of a sudden these guys, are, these disciples are beginning to speak in words they've never spoken before, in languages they've never spoken before. And here's what we've got to know. The Holy Spirit is not a what, but a who. The Holy Spirit is a person who showed up. The Holy Spirit is not just a power. The Holy Spirit is not just a presence. The Holy Spirit is a person who has shown up to launch the church as Jesus promised he would. This is so important because I have married my wife, Ginger. I didn't fall in love with the idea of a person. I didn't fall in love with the title of a person. I fell in love with Ginger, the person, because she is a person. Last, uh, PG, Pastor George, is, is, is a person that we love because of who he is, not because of a title or not because of, of some idea of him. We love him because of who he is. By the way, Pastor George just jumping in last week as only he can and knocking it out of the park and teaching last week. Aren't you just so grateful for Pastor George and PG? <laughs> Me too. And, and we get to celebrate, by the way, he and Cheryl, though he's retired, I just want you to know that on August the 8th, we are going to celebrate them. This is the day we've set aside. Mark it on your calendar if you haven't already so that we can celebrate a great man of God. Now, we're in a spot here where we're seeing something we've never seen. And all of a sudden, we see there are some other folks who are seeing this as well. And they're wondering, 
what in the world is going on? Look at the next verse. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews. Of course, they were gathered there from all over because of Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. They came to Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, because everybody heard this wind, when they heard this sound, a crowd gathered together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, wait, Aren't all these disciples and apostles, aren't they Galileans? Like, it's not exactly considered like an academic hotbed, right? It feels a little bit like the backwoods here. These Galileans are here, right? It's like, wow, look at all these PhDs from Van Austin, right? It's, that was, that was inappropriate. But... And if you're watching from Van Austin, do we not love Van Austin? Come on now. Yeah, thank you for saving me. All right. So we got these people. Now, actually, what's happening is they see these people from Galileans who have a distinct dialect, who dress a certain way. They know their culture, and they're going, hey, we're from Italy. We're from Greece. We're from Asia Minor. You're not from where we are, and you're speaking our language. That's what's really going on here. And they're like, why in the world are you able to speak a language that we understand? You're not one of us. And then goes on in the next verse and says, Then how is it that each of our hearts hear them in our native language? And goes on to list, this is like a, a grand collection of first century peoples. It says, they're Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them, I love this, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. They're amazed yet perplexed. And so they ask one another, what does this mean? I can't help but think they're going, you too, you hear them in your language too? Because I hear them, you're hearing them as well? And this is almost a reversal of that crazy scene. If you remember back in Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel, which seems to separate everybody because of language. Now all of a sudden we have the reversal where now we have everybody coming together despite the different languages. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit. This is what I love about the God that we serve. He tends to bring people together. And in a culture that's increasingly divided, let's just know this, that the mark of Christianity is unity. This was Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, that we bring people together. We're not about pointing fingers. We are about extending hands, and we want God to get the glory. We don't want to be right. We're not trying to make a point. We're trying to make a difference, and that's a very different objective, and we are about unity, and the gospel goes forward when we do it together. Amen? So all these people of different languages are going, wait a minute, we're hearing this message too. We're hearing this supernatural, and they don't know what to do with it. They're like us. They have a predisposition against the supernatural. And so they're trying to figure out, how do we even process this? What do we do? And they ask the question, what does this mean? And then some do what people always do when there's the supernatural that's present. They begin to be critical and even try to rationalize it. Look how they respond, they said. Some, however, made fun of them and said, oh, they've had too much wine. Ah, they're a little tipsy. They're drunk. Clearly, that's all. this has to be the result of alcohol. There's no way 
to explain it otherwise because they've never seen God do this and they don't know how to explain it. See, and when we see the supernatural, don't we always respond in one of three ways? We either criticize the messenger, we wrestle with the facts because we just aren't sure, or we surrender to a God that's bigger than us and bigger than our understanding. And we have all three of these being uh, experiencing in this place all three of those things at the same time. What about the Holy Spirit? As we kind of wrap up this first part of this chapter, the Holy Spirit, what is it about this Holy Spirit that we can take from this passage? You see, when I grew up, the church generally had one of two responses to the Holy Spirit. We were either completely focused on the Holy Spirit and forgot the other two parts of the Trinity. We were just Holy Spirit everything. Like anything was spiritual warfare. And if, you know, like we could go to Dairy Queen and get a blizzard, and if it didn't have enough peanuts in it, well, it was spiritual warfare, right? And then you had this other side over here who was just so afraid of the Holy Spirit that there was constantly pointing to the other saying how wrong they were handling the Holy Spirit, but we never talked about how to rightly handle the Holy Spirit. And the pendulum seems to always swing from one side to the other in handling the Holy Spirit. So what do we know from this passage about the Holy Spirit? Well, first I would say we got to learn from how uh, from, from these guys that they were, they were waiting, they weren't searching for the Holy Spirit. Remember, I think my tendency would be, okay, let's go find the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, no, 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 you wait right here in the upper room and you wait. I'm not to ask you to search, you wait, and the Holy Spirit will find you. Holy Spirit doesn't even need your help, is what he was telling these disciples. And so they're waiting, they're not searching for the Holy Spirit. So here's the question. Well, how did they wait? What could we learn from how they waited? Well, first of all, one of the ways that they would wait is they trusted what Jesus said. What Jesus had promised when he said, wait here and the Holy Spirit will come. Day one, nothing. Day two, nothing. Three, nothing. And eventually the Holy Spirit shows up and they're like, oh man, I'm so glad we trusted what Jesus said. The second thing that we learn is that the Holy Spirit never says anything against what he wrote in his word. This is important because the Holy Spirit is the inspiration of those who wrote scripture. Therefore, he will never contradict his own word in the future through us. The third thing that we learn is that they pursued Jesus through prayer and through the word. They were regularly gathering together, pursuing Jesus through prayer and through the word, and then the Holy Spirit shows up and does what only the Holy Spirit can do. And then fourthly, we know that the Holy Spirit is something that every Christian has, and we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. When we trust Christ and surrender our life to him, he indwells us. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 1. But then here's the beautiful part of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, now that's an ongoing process, and we see that in Romans 8. It's sort of like I am married to Ginger, and no matter how I feel and how I behave, I am committed to being married to Ginger. This is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes to live within me. We have that kind of covenantal relationship. But there are times where I am more connected to Ginger. I am more submitted as we mutually submit to one another, to her. In the same way, the Holy Spirit fills me when I surrender at different levels, at different times. This is an ongoing process. Now, here's the question everybody always wants to know. So can that happen again today? And if it can, can we just command Acts 2 to happen right here, right now? 
And the truth is we see these supernatural things in Scripture. We are reminded that God did something very unique for the purpose of getting, one, he was launching his church, and he was getting the attention of nearby unbelievers. Here's what I am convinced of. When this place becomes increasingly full of people who are far from God but searching, I believe the Holy Spirit begins to move in greater ways because that's when the Holy Spirit sort of demonstrates and shows off to get the attention of those who are farthest from him. You see, we see that over and over throughout church history, that the further there are people from God that are further unbelieving and even unaware of the word of God, the Holy Spirit shows up and demonstrates himself. And super, We see that in the mission field all the time. We see this in other countries where there is no church, where there is no access to the word of God. We see the Holy Spirit just doing supernatural things. And that was the case here. We see the supernatural display of the Holy Spirit. And, and, to, and to command that to happen today would be just like say, well, let's just go park the Red Sea while we're at it. Why don't we just go and take a couple of fish and, and, and some bread and, and feed 5,000 while we're at it? And to command God to do something would be like a hammer saying, would you pick me up, owner, so I can go and hit some nails, right? But here's what I do believe, and this is important because we see it. The Holy Spirit is still alive and powerful and working in our midst. And God is too creative to do the same thing the same way twice. But he's going to do a new thing. This is what he always reminds us throughout Scripture, that he's always up to a new thing in ways we have never seen that only he can do. And We just get to see one of the glimpses, just one of the facets of the Holy Spirit's work here on earth. Now, I said the first part was about the Holy Spirit, and the next part was about this great message. It's the first message Peter ever preached, and it's his best. Let's look at it real quick. Look with me at verse 14 as we see this message. All of a sudden, as a result, Peter stood up. I love it every time it says that in Acts because we know his background. He stood up with the 11. You say, wait a minute, how are there 12 disciples? Peter and 11, that's 12. Remember, Judas went away, but then we add Matthias in Acts chapter 1, so we're back to 12. Peter stood up along with the 12, and he raised his voice. Some translations even say he shouted, and he addresses the crowd. Now, I guarantee you, I don't know this, but I suspect when we see instant replay of this in heaven, I bet when you look at the other 11, they're rolling their eyes, right? Oh, here goes Peter again. He's always the first to speak. He sticks his foot in his mouth. He's always so impulsive, and he jumps up, and we're watching the Holy Spirit do this, and then Peter just stands up and starts talking. Oh, Peter. And then watch the message, because Peter is about to knock one out of the park. He speaks up and he begins to shout. In the beginning of his message, he says, Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you, what you've seen, what you're seeing. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. Let's just get that out of the way. You may see some alcohol around here. Not us. It's 9 o'clock in the morning, he said. It's only 9 in the morning. No, this is what was spoken to you by the prophet. In other words, what you're experiencing, and this is an important distinction, is a fulfillment of prophecy. For hundreds of years, all of heaven has been anticipating this moment, he says. If you write in your Bibles like I do, I would write beside verse 17, Joel, J-O-E-L, Joel chapter 2, because he's about to quote it. Look what he says, an Old Testament prophet. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants. 
both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke and the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Now, would you just read this last verse out loud with me? Say it with me. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is why we exist as a church life point right here in Plano. So that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord here in Plano can be saved. So that everyone in Collin County who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. So that everyone in North Dallas who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. doesn't matter your religious background. doesn't matter your successes or your failures. When you call on the name of the Lord, we receive the Holy Spirit and we can be saved. It's been prophesied for more than 2,000 years that this is a sign that we're in the season of the Holy Holy Spirit. We don't earn our way there. We receive our way there based on what he did on the cross. And that means the Holy Spirit, because he's still alive and active, that when we give an invitation and people come to Jesus, we don't have to be surprised. We ought to be surprised when people don't come to Jesus because the Holy Spirit is powerful. The Holy Spirit is active. And I love and love and love that we keep coming back to this phrase. As long as anyone in this county doesn't know Jesus, Guess what? We are going after them with the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's why we exist, so that everyone can come to know Jesus. Amen? Now, this is an important distinction. He didn't say it was being fulfilled in that moment, but it was the beginning of a prophetic moment. In other words, in this moment when Peter is preaching, he says this was prophesied and we are beginning. Guess what? In 2021, we are simply continuing it. It still hasn't come to complete fruition. We are continuing it. In fact, I would say it this way. We've been handed a baton, and the baton of the gospel is in our hand right now. And all of 2022 and beyond, or 20, how would I say that? 2100 and beyond. I haven't thought that far in advance yet. All of 2100 and beyond, they're waiting to receive the baton from us. You see, I wonder if the baton of the gospel had been given to us in the first century, would we have been bold enough to get the gospel out of the first century? I don't know, but we don't have to answer that question. Every generation has handed it to the next generation. And it's been handed to us in our generation. And now we're holding it. Our responsibility, the question that we have to answer is, will we be bold enough to be witnesses for Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth? And will we get the gospel to the next generation? That's our responsibility. We don't even have an option in this deal. We are witnesses. We have to get it to the next generation. And that's the question that we have to answer as a church. That's the question that we have to answer as individuals. And that's the question Peter is challenging these people with is this is a fulfillment of prophecy. We've been given the gospel so that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord can be saved. Peter's just doing a pretty good job here. All right, here we go. Verse, next verse. His fellow Israelites, he continues, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, remember him? He was the man who was accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Meaning, some of you met him, you know, you watched him walk on the water, you watched him feed the 5,000, you watched him heal people and teach with incredible insight. And some of you, you know people who saw him do that. And everybody's nodding their head, yeah, 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 I remember that. I, I do know about him. And just as they feel like they're on the same page, Peter does a great twist, and all of a sudden he gives a great, big, painful memory. Look at the next verse. He says, 
Well, this man Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Oh, I love these next two words. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. In fact, what he's saying is, hey, by the way, have you noticed Rome doesn't have an answer? And for 50 days, Rome has been completely silent when it comes to this whole empty grave thing. They have no explanation. They have no idea. Have you noticed it was impossible to keep Jesus dead and no one has an explanation for it? And then he pulls out the big guns and he reaches back a thousand years and he references the second king in Israel when Israel was in its heyday in its kingdom, King David. Look, he begins to quote him. He says, and David said about him, you might even write down in the next part in your Bible, Psalm 16, because now he's going to quote that Psalm. David said, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with your joy, with joy in your presence. And then Peter says, now, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David he died and was buried. In fact, he said, and his tomb is here to this day. We can go and see it. Maybe you've seen it, he would be saying. Oh, but David was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne, knowing that Jesus was a descendant of David's. Seeking what was to come, David spoke of the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did Jesus' body see decay. Because God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all, say that next word with me, witnesses. See, this is, goes, keeps going back to Acts 1.8, that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be witnesses. Peter keeps saying, you are all witnesses. You say, how do I share Jesus with other people? How do I take responsibility of the baton of the gospel in my lifetime? And here's what Jesus kept saying, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. You, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do, say that with me, nothing. Yeah, so he's saying, you just got to keep abiding in me, keep re remaining in me. And when you do that then be a witness to other people about what Jesus is doing in your life. Be a witness to other people about what Jesus is doing in your life. This is our story. We have a, a, a front row seat to the greatest story ever told. And sometimes we forget to remain or we forget to be witnesses, but this is how we are effective witnesses. All right, next, next verse, verse 33. Peter goes on to say, Exalted to the right hand Jesus is, the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and he has poured out what you now see and hear. And I bet you anything by now the 11 disciples are like, man, Peter's kind of on fire today. Peter's on it. We're not near as embarrassed. I hope everybody's hearing what Peter has to say. We love it when he steps forward first and starts speaking. We always have. And Peter's just... Peter's just doing a great job. Then he goes on to say, now he's going to quote, you might write in the next passage from uh, Psalm 110. For David said, for, for David did not ascend to heaven, and yet David said, and he quotes here, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Here's the question. 50 days earlier, Peter is publicly denying Jesus. Now, here's a turnaround. Because 50 days later, Peter is publicly declaring that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, and he's publicly declaring that they are guilty. He has gone from being afraid of them to challenging them. What's the difference? Oh, but he's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. He has the Holy Spirit indwelling him, and he can't not share this Jesus. Now, watch their response after hearing, I believe, Peter's first and best message. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? We're cut to the heart. They've gone from apathy to anxiety. They've gone from not knowing, and all of a sudden, the whole story of Jesus makes sense now. Those three years when he was on earth, that whole death and resurrection, oh, it was about me. I knew there was a God in this world, but I thought it was me. And now they realize, oh, this is all about him. I'm just a small part of this story, this grand story. And I know that I'm broken. I I know that I'm in need of a Savior. And all of a sudden, the story's beginning to make sense. And they're going, so then what do we do? And maybe you're here today, and you've heard the story of Jesus before you're watching online. You've heard the story of Jesus before. But maybe you're beginning to wonder, oh, wait a minute. I'm at a stage in my life where I realize this life isn't about me. I've stepped into a bigger story that's been going on before I got here and it'll go on after I'm gone. This is about someone much bigger than me. And Peter is offering a peek at the grand story of God. And the people say, well, then what do we do? And maybe you're wondering, what do we do? What does that mean to me? What is my next step? And Peter responds, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's not reserved for some. The Holy Spirit is for all. How does it come? It comes from a turning, a turning of what we maybe were chasing, of what we thought would satisfy, of what we hoped would be uh, meaningful, and a turning and surrendering everything to this Jesus. He goes on to say, the promise is for you and your children. Now watch this. And for all who are far off, for all those people at LifePoint who will be gathered there in April of 2021, he says, this is for you. It's for all of us. We are part of the story. This is just where it began. We are where it continues. And for all whom the Lord our God will call. I love this. With many other words, in other words, it was a longer sermon than what we're getting to see. We're just getting the highlights here. He warned them, and watch this, he pleaded with them. You wonder, what would Peter say if he were here in 2021? I think he'd say the exact same thing. Watch what he said. Save ourselves from this corrupt generation. How's that for good advice? I know there are a lot of influencers in our world. I know there are a lot of uh, famous people in our world. There are a lot of wealthy people in our world. There are a lot of people who are making promises in this world. And Peter's advice, save yourself from this corrupt generation. 
Make sure that your greatest influence is the one who loves you most and gave his life for you. I don't know about you. I love the influencers. I'm like, I'm all in. I like to have fun with that. But my greatest influence better be Jesus. And that's Peter's advice. And watch the result. I love this. And those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, there were about 3,000 that were added to their number. It's a pretty good day. And in that moment, in that moment, we see the Holy Spirit show up and launch something that Jesus had promised back in Matthew 16, 18, when he said, I will build my church, but I need to go because the comforter who is who, is who you need will come. And now the Holy Spirit has shown up and the church is launched. I believe this is the birthday of the church. Life Point's 32 years old, but with the Big C Church, we tie all the way back into this moment, Acts chapter 2. This is when it all began. This is when our, this is our story. This is when the Christian movement was launched in this moment. And lives were forever transformed and will be forever transformed because of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's still moving today. You've seen it in your life. When you came to Christ, and if you've yet to come to Christ, but you're feeling something tug, I want to tell you, I believe that is the Holy Spirit who draws, who pulls, who compels. I saw it, we saw it on Easter. You remember we had 10 people who gave their life to Jesus on Easter Sunday where the Holy Spirit was drawing, was compelling. The Holy Spirit was doing what only the Holy Spirit can do. I love that the Holy Spirit is still active and powerful. But I also know that we have people that we love and care about who have yet to make a decision for Jesus. In fact, I have a friend, a friend of mine that when I was in the Air Force, I had a friend that I became very close to. Uh, back in the early 90s, his name was Carlo. Carlo Franco was his name, is his name. And Carlo and I became friends, and Carlo was sort of a, I would say Carlo was kind of like a, a, a hardened, he would say he had a, a little bit of rigidity to him. Uh, he, you know, he was a man's man, but he was also just one of those guys that when it came to things of faith or things of God, that, that was just not going to be a conversation he would ever want to have. And I would pray for Carlo, and I would want the Holy Spirit to do these kinds of things, but just just didn't happen. And we remained really good friends. In fact, he was a, a groomsman in our wedding, and he... he continued his career and, and eventually retired from the Air Force. He was originally from uh, Columbia, and his family had moved to South Carolina. And after he retired from the Air Force, I had heard that he had moved back to South Carolina. But we'd lost touch 10 or 15 years ago. We, we have had no interaction at all. <clears throat> and then three weeks ago, so, uh, I received our first interaction from, from Carlo. And he said, he said, good morning, Mark. In the last two years, more lately, I've been drawn to the Lord. And this morning at 2 a.m., you came into my mind, and I decided to look you up to see what you were up to. And I watched you speak for my first time in part one of, no matter what, you are loved. And today, after 48 years on this earth, I finally decided to submit to God's will. Amen. 
And he, he says a couple other things, and, and then he closes with a phrase he's never said before. He said, I love you, brother. And, and I know Carlo is probably watching today. And uh, Carlo, man, oh, man, it was so fun to, just to catch up with you on the phone a few days ago. And, and one of the things, uh, I got permission from Carlo to share this, but he shared with me. He said, you know, Mark, I was never anti-God. But one of the things I always just knew intuitively, I knew in my gut that if I was good enough, I would be eternally safe. And he said, I've begun to realize, though, that the Bible teaches something different, that none of us are good enough. That's why Peter said that we all, every one of us, have to ask for forgiveness and surrender to the cross. And Carlos said, I realized that I had a decision to make. Do I trust my gut or do I trust the Bible? And I feel myself more and more compelled to trust the Bible. I believe that's the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. I don't know if you're here today and you walked in thinking that you were safe because maybe you've been good enough or you know enough Christian. Maybe your family is Christian. But you've never really made that surrender that Peter said, you need to ask for forgiveness. You need to surrender. He said, every one of you. We can't end without giving you an opportunity to do that. If the Holy Spirit is drawing you in this moment, I want to give you a chance to do that. In fact, what I would love to do is lead you in a prayer. Nothing magical in the words. It's a simple opportunity for you in your own decision, in your own heart, to make this decision yours once and for all and to trust what he said more than what you may feel, which maybe you're now old enough to realize isn't always trustworthy. And so I want to ask everybody here, if you would just be so gracious to just close your eyes, maybe lower your head and give privacy in this moment. And if you're here or you're online and you've yet to make this decision to give your life to Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer right now and give you an opportunity to do exactly that. Would you just pray this prayer in your own heart after me today? God, I realize I... I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I want to give my life to you today personally. I want to trust your word more than my gut and make you my Savior and my Lord and live for you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, it is the best decision you could ever make in this life. In fact, I would love the opportunity to pray for you, to celebrate with you. And here's how I can do that. If you would pull out your phone right now and you would just text one word, new start, to 94,000. If you're online, you can do that as well. Just text new start to 94,000. And let me know that you made that decision. I'll be praying for you 
I want to celebrate with you. And then we know that baptism is the first step of obedience after salvation. And so we have a baptism coming up on May the 16th here in three weeks. We would love for you to be part of that. If you want more information, you just go to our website, backslash baptism, and you'll see the information. You can sign up for it there. If you've got any questions, you can let us know. But we plan a big day of celebration. We would love for you to be part of it. If you've never been baptized, this is a great opportunity for you to take that step with us. Let me close with these two questions. Since we are all witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, let me ask you this. How are you being a witness? Next. Maybe you're trying to better yourself. Are you remaining and abiding in him so that he can transform you and the Holy Spirit can do the changes? that need to happen. And let's close this way. Would you stand with me and let's say our verse together, which is the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Church, would you say this out loud with me? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1, 8. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being here with us today. God, allow us, encourage us to trust you and abide in you. And whatever we walked in with today, Lord, we don't walk out alone. You and your omniscience and omnipresence walk with us. You fight for us. And you know what tomorrow holds. You just tell us to be witnesses as we walk into tomorrow together. Empower us, God, with that knowledge, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.